Hello, how's the form? Welcome to the Boz Adelie Rugby Podcast World in Union. Morris Brosnan here. I'm delighted to be joined by the Boz Adelie weather experts, PJ Brown. PJ, how are you? Uh, it's good to Morris. It's good to, good to be able to come down here from the meteorology department and uh, appear on the podcast. Yeah. So the nation has been gripped by not only concern about Ireland's rugby side, but also the weather that looks like it's going to be forecast for Ireland against Samoa on Saturday. We're going to talk about that in a second. We're going to talk about the, briefly about the performance against Russia. And later on in the show, we're going to catch up with former Irish rugby player and now current Colin Strength and Conditioning coach, Johnny O'Connor. Uh, a really interesting career path and a guy who is very open about how he deals with players prepping them in the modern game. Um, so that should be pretty interesting to talk about both kind of prepping into tournament rugby and also, as a lot of people might know, the Pro 14 is currently on as well, tipping away in the background. And uh, Colin Tavarev in pretty good form recently. Um, but firstly, PJ... You've come down, you've been studying the weather charts, you've been looking at the progression of a, of a this tropical storm, potentially a typhoon that's going to land on Saturday. Marth, Marth, Marth. It's not, it's a super typhoon. A super typhoon. It's like, the good news, What's the difference? They, uh, I'm not, well, I'm not sure. It, it's bigger. It's bigger. <laughs> the, the wind is more powerful. Uh, the good news is it has been downgraded from a Category 5 super typhoon to a Category 4 super typhoon and also it's like it's going to miss uh fukuoka where ireland's game against samoa is taking place on saturday it's kind of it was looking like it was heading directly for it it is now tracking north and east and it's going to hit tokyo so it, there's a possibility it could disrupt uh japan and scotland's game on sunday so it's somebody else's problem yeah yeah the, the, it, and a little, 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 little bit of information here for you. Impress your friends over the coming days. You, the uh, typhoon has slowed down because it has in, entered an eyewall replacement cycle. <laughs> you can impress your friends with that. <laughs> um, the main issue with that actually would have been the what it would have done to the pitch, really. Because for anybody who watched France against USA... Uh, the pitch did not hold up and it hasn't held up at all this tournament yeah it, uh, it, it's bad enough already imagine what it'd be like if it, if it hit, hit with more rain yeah it would absolutely like it was the main issue was actually you could only see it after scrums is that it looked perfect at the very start of the game and then just tore up so easily mm-hmm. and kind of continued to I suppose descend from there to eventually towards the end of the game where it actually started to affect the quality of the game that the pitch was so poor um, you saw like the USA players didn't really dwell on the French players certainly weren't happy with it I think they couldn't really exert themselves in the scrum which again that could be a factor for Ireland you saw the pressure Japan put Samoa under at scrum time if you've got a loose underfooting it makes it a lot more of a lottery mm-hmm. than you would like in, a, in that scenario um, weather is one thing that we're kind of worried about we're also worried about the form you have a list of grievances that you're going to air and kind of in a meditative place here we're in a safe spot and you can kind of get them off your chest and it'll prove cathartic there's one other there's one other main thing I'm worried about here Morris it's alliteration okay we've already had against Japan the shit show on Shizuoka <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we're setting up, where are we playing this game we're, we're playing it in Fukuoka I mean, it's setting up for... I mean, I, I can see it. Can you see the headlines already? The fuck up in Fukuoka. <laughs> I can hear it. I, like, I can see it. I can hear it. I mean, some people might not read too much into these signs, but I think it's something to be worried about. Yeah, so it's a joy for the sub-editors and a yeah. worry for pretty much everybody else. Yeah, I, I, think, I think this is probably on Josh Schmidt's mind. <laughs> PJ, how much are you... Are you more or less concerned after the Russia performance? More, probably more concerned. I think there was. It, it looked like it looked like a lot of hard work 
against Russia. I know he sc- scored f- five tries. Uh, they scored nothing, but it looked like f- it looked hard work scoring those tries. It, it, after a while, it looked like Russia had kind of figured us out a little bit. Yeah, and it, it took a little bit of kind of real kind of inventiveness to score some of those tries, like especially the little Ducati chip over the top. Those were the kind of moment, not genius, but you would think it would have been easier for Ireland to break through against Russia. And I, I'd be worried that it wasn't. Yeah, like, my, my main takeaway, like, I, I find in games like this, you just, it's really hard to take away much in a circumstance when you're against opposition like Russia. And I mean, like, I don't mean that in full respect to, they were very, very determined and very, very committed throughout. But nevertheless, you have, like, you have to judge what they're up against. They had, like, let's not forget, they dropped some frontline guys for this game as well, which is probably equally concerning. But, like, if you're to take... In isolation, take Ireland's performance. I and mean, that's what I think you're trying to do. You're not taking the result. You're trying to look at their performance. And I actually, in, in recent weeks, there's this kind of huge scramble about Ireland's style and have they been left behind by the progression of the work. And we talked about this after the Japan game, myself and Mick as well. Um, to, be, to be honest, like I don't really know how much stock you can put in that now. Like I think that's a conversation that happens post-tournament rugby. But in tournament rugby, you're not... There's no real scope to change your style to any major progression. Like This stuff has been in the pipeline for four years, like a World Cup cycle. You, you just don't change mid-tournament. And if you do, it's another absolutely... You know, it, this, that's France, you know, 2015, total panic, trying to change things up, riffs appearing. Like, that's what that does, really. It's an, I don't think it's, it's possible to have a huge scope of change of style within uh, the World Cup. But what would concern me is that, like, we all know what Ireland don't do well, but I also, it's pretty established what Ireland do do well. And even that stuff that they're normally quite good at has been really poor in yep. this tournament. So you got a, a situation like, for example, somebody like Rob Kearney. Rob Kearney, on his business card, is the fact that he covers the backfield well. That is his call, like That is his calling. That is what he's known to do. And you have a situation against Russia when under very, very little pressure, relatively, himself and Andrew Conway just kind of staring at each other and the ball drops and goes out for a line out and Ireland gets hit and that's like in isolation that's just something not clicking something's off there you see Ireland strike players they're renowned for them the very first one the uh, Jordan Murphy flicking it back in for Rob Kearney's try that was I mean that's a classic the bounce back Joe Schmidt it's his at the top of the list of his strike plays but they have this the other one that they used with Earls in the Six Nations where they put the winger in a line out he's looping around and they tried to set it up with Conway all day and it kept something kept going wrong like there was, it was either a handling error they, they, at one stage the ball collapsed and they lost the ball weren't able to move, like, shift the ball back in time whoever's cheering it wasn't doing it correctly like all that stuff is really really subtle minor things but they do begin to add up it just does feel like something's not clicking now and like, like we go back to this I still maintain that if they can force their game on somebody and play it on their own terms then Ireland will will win that game like they mm. could do that in a quarterfinal and do that game but this has been a team that they're you know have always been remarkably consistent and the only thing that's consistent now is the fact that they're so up and down within like literally three games here so that to me that's the main takeaway you take from the Russia game looking at the small game and again like we all know what the result at the end of the day you want um for permutations wise you want the bonus point you want to make sure that they are in full yeah. control here but at the same time I do I would love to see that kind of stuff click like I would lo- they, I'm not talking about I don't think they need to we'll talk about the team now in a second I don't think they need to you know rip up the, the, the book here like, I think it's really really sort of things like do we see if we're going to play one player in the backfield or if it's two are they under control on the high ball is Sexton you know running through the gears to commanding a game are Conor Murray's box kicks on the money is the lineup functioning is the scrum dominating all that stuff is you know 
that like that's the bread and butter for this team and that's I think ultimately if people are wondering why is this Irish team getting criticism after you know a 35 0 win that's why it's why the those stuff isn't necessarily clicking they lost two lineups the, the small stuff like that that just I think need to be ironed out for you to have a bit more confidence in this team I, I just just had a quick thought on Rob Carney's uh, business card does it, does it say Rob Carney G U T H B uh G Rob Carney, good runner the high ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he probably should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think like this Ireland team. Uh, a friend of mine put it pretty well to me the other day. He said it seems like with the Ireland team, it's this machine. It's either working perfectly or it's not working at all. Like the, we, this team is supposed to do the basics so well, and that should lead to more consistent performances. I mean, do you think it'll come out after this tournament? Like, are there reasons why? those things aren't working well or do you think are the Ireland players in camp right now kind of thinking what the hell is going on why isn't this working for us like yeah I mean to a certain extent I think that stuff is kind of intangible like you know say you look at you look at, we'll talk about England here for a second actually right you look at England England are very very clearly the reason I would have a lot more confidence in England despite the fact that you know they haven't been necessarily that impressive either like they're, they're, there's definitely you could pick a lot of flaws in their game plan but there's a clear like what England have is like there's a Paul O'Connell and Brian O'Driscoll actually were very good in this on ITV and instead of parrying them we'll just play it out here now It was so frustrating Um, 18 handling errors I know it was a greasy ball but 18 handling errors it's just nowhere near the numbers you expect from Ireland they couldn't put any multi-phase together rarely did they carry the ball 10 phases or more something they're renowned for doing Um, just lacked as though it looked as though they lacked creativity until you know, a couple of moments at the end with Jack Carty going to boot. Um, I, I just feel quite frustrated by it because I, I don't think it was a great performance and I don't know how they're meant to get the momentum they're looking for off the back of it. Um, yeah, we would have liked to have seen, seen them create more. Uh, it was a difficult day for it. We watched New Zealand play yesterday and, and drop balls as well. But as well as that, New Zealand created a lot. Uh, we, we, we watched France play yesterday, and while they really frustrated us, they did create a lot. They didn't finish as maybe they would have liked, but they did create a lot and show some moments of magic that, that you can clutch onto. We probably didn't see as much of that as we would have liked to have from Ireland. So actually, I actually think what Paul O'Connell said there is very apt. Like, you, you, you could pick punch holes in a lot of teams here, but there still is, like, there's an overwhelming arc where you see they're trying to do X. Like, they're try- New Zealand are trying to be a bit more creative. There's a bit more of an attacking game plan. In the case of England, like, England have kicked, I think, uh, 87 times. I think they're the team with second highest kicks in this tournament. Mm. You saw the evidence of that against, um, against Argentina. They were going to, I think, six different players kicked the ball against Argentina for England, which is pretty impressive in itself. But, they're, like, they're trying to, clearly trying to play wet weather rugby. They're trying to, kick the ball back to your team use this John Mitchell crafted defensive line to you know really high pressure force your teams into handling errors which are so common in these conditions there's there's an there's a real clear plan you saw I think their first try was a beautiful illustration of what England do so well like it, it's actually reminding me of the the ball that Scockdale fumbled against England in the uh, Six Nations earlier this year that was an Ada Daly kick in as well behind actually but you know you've got a player stepping into the line a grubber in behind Johnny May shooting up out of his line pressurising the winger the ball goes out England take the line out um, you get something like a Toje guaranteed ball up in the air go to a mall they bounce back uh, George Ford carries it down the blind side fixes the defender feeds to Johnny May it's a try the real nice interplay between backs and forwards you saw in that same play you had uh, Oton Farrell and Manny Tulagi down mauling in the, mm. from the line out all of that stuff and you know outside of that then there is scope for errors and stuff to go wrong but there's still enough illustrations there that there, things are there is enough 
you know Amber's there that can catch a light like they, they have enough plan I don't see that yet from, from Ireland that's why like I think you just what they really need is some bit of assurance and so like, are, they, are the players sitting there thinking will this click I mean I think it just takes one performance for that to happen like it's mm. one game and suddenly that all comes together so we'll talk small about the small game mm. all the illustrations that have come out this week is that Ireland are going to go full hog with a they're starting 15 for this game they're going to go out for it um, that's what we're led to believe that, so that's the team that we think will start the team that we would like to see start I think there's enough scope if we would agree that somebody like Gary Ringrose has played three games shouldn't be risked again for no this way. game so I, I actually think that you could put it, make a similar argument I thought for Robbie Hinshaw has to play minutes absolutely yeah, yeah good point great point yeah he, I, I think you have to see him now the strain that has already put in the squad is, is fairly considerable um, I think and again that just goes back to a bit of assurance like is this guy fit is he, are we carrying yeah. a guy here and if so why so uh, he, again all, we've, we're allowed to believe that we're recording this on Tuesday we're allowed to believe that Robbie Hinshaw will play uh, on Saturday he there was a lot of pictures um, the media session today was in a gym and Henshaw did a huge amount of hamstring work which is encouraging to mm. see that he is building that up and he's been watched over by a physio doing that kind of stuff um, the other player that I think does it, if you're going to the cotton wool factor here right there's players that you would like to keep in reserve I think there's scope to CJ Stander it doesn't start but again that's not really an option if Jordy Murphy isn't fit yeah. and you've got no other number 8 S- similar thing with Rob Kearney I think that again you scope to see somebody else at fullback they're the only like I, I'm would be content enough if you're gonna if they want to go full hog with this, start the normal tight five. Yeah. But it's I, I, you're talking about forty minute switches there. Like I think like Scanlon could get forty. I think um, regardless of who starts, Kilcoin could get forty. Porter, there's even scope to uh, change that again. Um, you could get you're talking about somebody like uh, Ty Brown could get thirty in your back row. Like ultimately, I think Jordy Murphy, Jordy Murphy, who initially we thought was going home, now it doesn't look like he is. If he's not going to start at eight, whoever does come in there. Um, it's going. It's going to have to be CJ Sanders. So ultimately, it will have to be CJ Sanders. I think. <laughs> I mean, like, the, what they got, we're down to like four back back row players, aren't they? Yeah, and I mean, and that's like the. I, w- I, I threw out like a, I was kind of half joking in the off- in the office earlier when I said, "Is there any chance uh, Sh- Sean Cronin could play in the back?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like, like like what South Africa did, yeah. yeah. And I bet there is. It. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I bet he's more than capable of uh, of filling in there. He always feels like a, a number eight, a second a hooker yeah. playing as number eight. Anyway, you, do you what do you think the benefit is to playing the first choice first choice uh, from pack, like pack? Is it, is it because you think they need more time to get a bit of cohesiveness? I, yeah, like if you're going to point at flaws, I think the pack is where a lot of them would be identified. That, and I think that the, going back to this idea, I know I've kind of stressed it a couple of now, of getting a bit of insurance. I think they could certainly do with getting that dwell time. At the same time, you have to be cognizant of the fact that you've got a weak turnaround. They're coming off a 10-day turnaround, so I don't think there's any fear of being overexposed yet. But just in terms of... Like Samoa are, have established themselves as being an incredibly physical team who... Will, regardless of their situation in the pool, will want to. They don't get uh, as many chances as they deserve to play tier one nations. They now have one to close out. But they will go hell for letter in this game. You could see Jack Lamb was up to a media this week explaining about the hurt, about what happened at the end of the Japan game when they decided to scrum and gave away the bonus point. Yeah. Um, like from their own perspective, like I, I, I the so crooked, the, the crooked, like I mean, yeah, what? Like, like, like yeah. Anyway, Do you know that was still a rule. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, yeah, it was Jacob Piper, wasn't yeah, it? It was like, yeah. what the hell? A crooked feed? When was the last time you saw that? But, and then to follow it with the feed on the, just quickly on that, the, the feed on the Japanese ball, which is as crooked, if, if not more. Like, I, that, yeah, that did not make any sense. But anyway, um, 
So I can imagine that some more are going to come health players. And with that in mind, I don't think that there's a huge risk about how you expose certain players. Mm. Um, we're led to believe that Sexton's going to get an hour. I think he's another player who minutes might do him well. And certainly that, again, finally, uh, the assurance of seeing him come through an hour, I think, you would think, be huge. You talk about assurance. Does that come from Sexton? Does it just, just like partially having Sexton on the pitch? Potentially. Probably with Murray. Yeah. Yeah. Having the two of them on together gives you that kind of platform. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. I do, do you think Murray I think Murray probably starts this game uh, yeah. and you get the two of them playing a, an hour together probably yeah exactly yeah so that moves us on so in that scenario if Jordan Murphy isn't fit we're talking about pretty much you're going with your full hog in your tight eight with under the understanding that there is a huge amount of scope to make early changes or like I does it pardon me that t- doesn't think you should go I, I don't think you should start Amani yeah I think, I think he's played too much start, start Reece Ruddock start Fender Flair uh, yeah and I would agree with that as well I honest i don't see it happening i think he will start but um i think uh, again another part of that might just be that they don't want to look any sort of illustration that they're overlooking this small game Mm. um nine and ten is going to be murray and sexton and you're talking about your centers we don't want in an ideal center to see ring rows you do want to see henshaw henshaw and aki that partnership looked brilliant against wales if you could see that again i think that would be great i think it probably will start he'll probably be thinking similarly to murray and sexton that get these two lads get you these two guys on the pitch together yeah and that'll be beneficial ahead of a quarter final and then if you get earls and stockdale together uh on the wing i think that would be great and that leaves moves you on to fullback where in an ideal scenario to my mind anyway you're not seeing rob carney there you're seeing jordan i think i think we've seen enough like rob carney playing well pretty well in this tournament so is it jordan Lamer or do you think somebody else could play there i i think he'll probably i think it'll probably be Lamer, but i would prefer to see a bit of an experiment with, with Carberry. I would love to see <laughs> how exciting would that be? Yeah, I, I think that would be again going back to that like I think that would be a great idea. I think somebody who can stand the second receiver. Um t- we talked about the variance in the English kicking game. Ireland actually have shown demonstrations that they want to play that way. Carby is a guy who could definitely slot in and do that. I think that would be brilliant to see, but I don't think we will see it. I think he's gonna come off the bench for twenty for a sexton. E- even if like Carberry came in and had a brilliant game this year in this game against Samoa and kind of like you thought God this is brilliant this is kind of a game changer here for for, for Ireland I'm not sure he, he would then go on and play Carberry in that position in a quarter final I think he would probably go with the safe option of of Carney yeah yeah, which yeah and, but maybe then he does it is like an option to change a game later on in a quarter final which it might be the wrong decision I mean like if if Carberry is being out there being inventive Ireland are creating more then it does seem like that's partially what Ireland are lacking a little bit and, and then why wouldn't you go with that exa- and is there not also scope that if Carberry has, is going to be the what you know the backup the, we've led to believe he can cover um, scrum half as well like if he's going to be trying to be a bit more of a utility player from the bench to, like in this tournament I think it might even stand to him to play somewhere outside of out half like mm. if if there is a scope that in a quarterfinal it'll come down to that that we, he, he might be needed at 12 he might be needed at fullback then I think that you, you try and trust in that like if Jordan Lammer is going to be your 23rd man he's got, got a bit of versatility I think there's no harm in somebody like Gary maybe getting that sort of coverage but in the tournament mm. particularly you know looking ahead to a quarterfinal a quarterfinal that they do still need to qualify for but uh, we cross Saturday's bridge and we'll, we'll talk about that after that I guess finally just on the tournament itself um, um, we just mentioned briefly about England there. Uh, like, are England, firstly, how much of a disaster would it be for Ireland if not only did they crash and burn to work up, but England go on to win it? And secondly, is that a likely possibility? I think it's definitely a possibility. I, I, 
don't I, what I've seen of them so far I think South Africa have probably impressed me the most especially like this morning uh, they absolutely That's destroyed I know it was Canada but they absolutely destroyed them in that first half they bought three tries in the first nine minutes uh, Con- Ryan Ash had the uh, had a hat trick within was it in nine minutes or it was the quickest hat trick in World Cup history the commentator on the world feed said he was more dangerous than climate change <laughs> which made me think he's not even the starting scrum half I mean what does that make Faf the Clerk I mean Faf the Clerk must be like uh, a 10, 10 mile wide meteor that's heading towards the earth right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, England I they're definitely World Cup contenders I don't know if I've seen enough from them so far to make me think they could win the tournament England like if England were to win a World Cup I mean that would hurt a lot I think that would hurt a lot. The only thing that would hurt more is probably a Welsh is Wales winning the World Cup, I think. Yeah, England winning the World Cup would hurt a lot because it's not that long ago since we had their number. Like, we, we, we were the better team. And now World Cup comes around Table and they, and they, and they see, like, see they end up winning it. That would hurt a lot. We'll talk more about that next week. We're actually going to focus a bit more on the external factors in this World Cup. But next up, we're going to hear from Johnny O'Connor. All right, I'm delighted to say we're joined now by current strength and conditioning coach we're calling it Johnny O'Connor. Johnny, how's the form? Yeah, very good, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm in top form, actually. Yeah, got a game, a couple of days out from the game, so kind of a, most of our prep is done for the week now. I'm just getting shape for the Dragons on Friday. So uh, yeah, good. Come here, we've had um, a lot of former players on the podcast over the last couple of weeks. A couple of your your past teammates, actually, Brett Wilkinson, was on a couple of weeks ago, and they've all gone into coaching, but you haven't. You've gone into strength and conditioning work. How exactly did that progression happen? Uh, I think I suppose like I think I played for around 13 years and I'd say about five of them I stole a living because I was injured for them you know and you spend a lot of time around some good physios and strength conditioning coaches and psychologists and uh, I just felt like something I really kind of wanted to do and started reading into and started studying for and uh, I was looking up I got an opportunity when I finished up to do an internship in Arsenal and then be employed fully there for a few years and uh, but it's just, it's just from that kind of sense, I really enjoy that thing. I really enjoy those relations with those people I worked with, like in the relations that I still have now. So kind of uh, things I enjoy. I think you have great, great relations with players that last a lifetime. And uh, I'd have that with some of the guys who coach me, you know. So it's very rewarding in a sense, you know. I'm never the bad guy. I'm never the guy that's dropping them or anything like that or not picking them a selection. So you're kind of, you're, you're sitting on the fence anyways. I do say thank you, are. <laughs> that's interesting I, I see I know from social media and stuff like that that you kind of have posted the plyometric work and stuff that you've done now and it kind of got me thinking that presumably this current science around strength and condition is so far ahead of where it might have been when you first started playing like you've nearly been a part of that progression almost yeah look like everything kind of evolved like and it's not a case where people still doing they were doing things wrong they were the best method at the time and look in 10 years time like we look back and go geez what were we doing? You know, we're a bit silly, but uh, look, there's a lot of fundamentals that never change uh, within it. But like, certainly for us, like the way it's gone, like, you know, previously <laughs> when I was playing, you know, we'd, the previous method would be like, you know, we'd assess the physical quality, like so a bench press, a squat, a sprint, and then we'd analyze those results. Then we'd describe some intervention or exercises. But like, essentially you might end up with a better athlete, but you may not end up with a better rugby player where it's kind of shaped around and gone the other way or not other way Mars, like in terms of how like for our model like we look at rugby first we look at the technical model within rugby 
and then we look at the physical capacity as well, and then we maybe tune an expert to make an intervention, you know. And you look at the, the positional needs, they've changed as well too as well. Like, you know, previous everyone was kind of trained the same, everyone maximum strength is everybody. We look at like a football player, yeah, like key qualities for a football player, yeah, they, they need max strength, they need isometric strength, strength, speed, eccentric mean power, you know, the key moves then would be scrum, line out, carry, clean for instance, like, you know, but as you go down, like, you know, like a back row player, like, you know, like he moves then might be breakdown, tackle, carry, and there's many other ones, but he's just, he's just, just giving us a few instances, uh, like the key physical qualities that underpin those as well. So, like, we, I think we're getting more getting into the position needs of those players, and then we look at them from an individual sense now as well, like in that kind of quadrant of physical, technical, 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 and psychological to make our decisions. But it's, it's it's not changed like it, 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 the biggest thing has changed is the coaches are involved in them more. Like so, you're going to go to the coaches' KPIs. What do they? How do they want to play the game? What are the key qualities they think around the certain positions? Like in really defence, attack, so you speak, Friendy, Nigel, Jimmy, Pete Wilkinson, and get an understanding of what they are. And then you can look at the physical qualities. Do the players have them or not? And then you can have tests that assess them, and then you can have exercises that maybe improve them. And so, as an organisation, then you have the strategy and tactics. Well, what do we need to do that? Do we need world class reads? Most we need most of the teams, you know. There's and can we facilitate that as well? Also, so that way works way better. It works better because if I know what a player needs to improve technically and tactically within a game, and I can buy into that, it's intrinsically motivating for me. I suppose we have data and we're more purposely driven, like high performance kind of program then. So it's evolved in a sense, and I hope I've given you kind of a picture of like where we started off, where we're going to about physical qualities, who are now kind of more integrated into the rugby model. Like, you know, we're there to support the coaches and to make them look good. And, you know, there's certain things like in terms of rugby specific stuff that we can help change with intervention, and we work with the coaches closely with that. Can I ask you, that's, I find that really interesting about the, particularly in terms of tailoring to players positionally, can I ask you a small bit about more like that, like what exactly are you are you tailoring to, is that exercise specific or is, is that kind of individually focused? Uh, it can be exercise specific, like uh, players can fall into two groups, you can have like players that can need, like have like a gap in terms of performance and you can prove performance, or you can have players that you know you're really explosive players, their programs can be generally tipped around, yes, a certain amount of performance, there's a, a large amount of health put in there, like, you know, like, the more explosive you are, the more risky you are to those soft tissue uh, injuries, so, like, y- you make a decision, you go, well, okay, this guy's got a, a long, in, like, long, long injury list, or he's relatively explosive, you know, like, do we keep on increasing his rate of force development power and make him stiffer and probably tissues less confined to deal with that and put him at risk of strain or do okay, we'll have a bit of both, we'll have a bit of performance and health, you know, where there's other guys who go, right, well, we need to really push hard the performance thing. This is going to be the thing that's going to make or break his career and we're going to put time into this and we're going to put a little micro doses throughout the week. But like, we'll sit down with a player and we'll go through their strength profile, their elastic profile, the rate of force, force development, their speed. We'll go, listen, we think this part here will help improve this area of the game. But like, remember, there is that technical tackling part to understanding that. Sometimes you can have all those things and still not do, it's not a guarantee that you do it. You have to learn your sport as well. That's why it's important to have the rugby coaches involved in that because, as I said previously, like your job is if you got some stronger and they squatted more, if that was enough. But it's not enough. Like, it has to be transparent over to the field if, I, if I've got that across, hopefully. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's funny you say that because we had um we spoke to Daniel Tobin, who's the head of performance at, at Gloucester now. He was at Leinster previously, yeah. and he spoke about the idea that the biggest change for him anyway was that he suddenly kind of become a bit more like an, an assistant coach. That he he's involved on on the field, just monitoring load and and things like that. Not necessarily um uh, technically or tactically, but just in terms of uh, an extra set of eyes really. And then he can transfer that back into into the gym as well. I presume like the uh, this just goes for any sport really that the best kind of functioning reality is that if you've got a happy marriage between all coaches like open lines of communication that it works best yeah absolutely it has to be open you have to have some, some real conversation as well sometimes but like generally like you're trying to support the coaches like you know so generally like they have a good eye for it and then they speak about a certain player but like sometimes like if we look at the tackle and people always see the tackle they always see the end result but like going into a tackle there's the entry into that tackle there's the shoulder contact you know there's the chasing the feet after and then have you won or lost that contact you know and there's other things around that there could be your body height to score the posture you know like awareness in terms of like hip mobility are they the cause of you not being able to tackle is it a strength issue but you can look at your stuff and generally like I think most rugby players are strong you need to start mastering your actual sport and the little variation the fundamentals around a tackle a breakdown a carry but like someone may not carry well and you might just have to tell them and, and excuse my language you might say this means just run as fucking hard as fuck at the outside shoulder there <laughs> and that can and that can be enough you know you might see a big transformation in terms of the language we use and how we speak to them how we talk to them like you know Everybody has, like, a lot of our lads have those capabilities and there's little work on that. I certainly think us as a squad at the moment, like, we are plenty strong and we're working on those other technical aspects that then, like, I suppose you can carry the PhDs of your, of your sport, you know. Like, that's the biggest transferable part over. You need to get good at your sport. I think my time in soccer, I learned so much because I went to soccer initially, we got lads stronger and they come a bit more robust and that's very, very good. The end result is, like, the players that, but, best technical and tactical awareness the guys that did the best not the guys that did the best in the test so to speak you know what I mean so coming back into rugby is kind of an eye open where I'm going well, I kind of got this all wrong like let's, let's look at rugby first and see if we can improve those aspects around the rugby and pay attention to the technical models have an understanding of them and understand the physical qualities that go into those and then make decisions off that rather than just going okay hitting your own kind of silo and go well if I prove it's our silo if I prove it's not the 10 yes they're important. They build confidence. That's good, and they build competition. But there have to be the other elements have been aware of those also. Like you know, and it's not a case that I become a coach, Mars. It's just a case that I'm aware of them and I'm able to support the program, support the program all because then it just allows for us to be. I suppose it gives you more of a mission, more vision, and a bit more of a team rather than just sitting out and saying, "Well, I do my F and C bit, and the coaches do their bit." You know? Yeah. And building on that, I suppose, Johnny, the I think there would have been maybe an assumption, a wrong assumption, that you would have been kind of flat out mad busy in pre-season and then kind of quiet, I suppose, in-season. But it sounds like it's actually a continuous process. Uh, look, there's no doubt, like, your your contact with uh, players in the pre-season is, is, is a lot more. But at the same time, we have to get the, we get the, ball, the ball in hand early with all the players, you know, and you kind of progress, so you almost reverse engineer it, okay, so what do we want? What do you want to install? Like, what would you like to install before that uh, Scarlet game, first game? And the coaches will work back and go, these are things we need to install here until we get to a point where we get to the Scarlet game and we've installed it, that we're happy. But they, it, they, they'll go back and they'll make a decision, okay, this is what we would like covered off before we play the Scarlet. And then we have to allow time for them in the programme, like in terms of like, you know, slow and control games, building up the intensity over those couple of weeks of pre-season. It was a long pre-season this year just because the way the World Cup was, just so we had plenty of time to progress that. But it's just, 
we're trying to support all those things, give the coaches time with players as well. So it's not a case where we just take the players for two weeks and all we do is strength and conditioning and then we start handing them over to the players then. The players have early contact in terms of like having nice slow controls, gaining clarity about the roles, clarity about certain things and then building that in, building the contact in and learning it in until we get to that promotion moment to your first game this season and then continuing on that cycle. So, uh, yeah, and in season it's busy enough. There's changes like I suppose periodization hasn't become is become a bit less restrictive, a bit more agile in terms of like, look, we'll plan out a week. But there's certain changes you will make in that you know, okay, we get over this game this weekend. We have a couple of days off, two or three days off. And then we've got a 13 week cycle, and we'll have planned that out. We'll have planned out our pitch loads, our gym loads, and all these other things. But there's things you just have to change and go with the flow and be prepared to make those as well. Like you know, so like in terms of the cost of the game, the weather, we've got some big teams to play against as well in the Champions Cup and what are the costs of those but like their decisions that we're confident we make as a as a team because uh, generally we pay attention in terms of some good metrics around that and can I ask you kind of more generally like you seem like somebody who's very conscious of the need to balance the kind of the technical aspect of the game with the, the strength and conditioning aspect of the game and I think that's a debate that particularly is heightened recently uh, we even saw uh, Sean McDermott over at the World Cup the, the Russia coach talking about um, he feels like the World Cup has nearly become more like Ironman competitions than it has been about rugby like when you look at the game generally do you see that balance being struck? I think the game is, I think the game, yeah, it's the balance isn't true. I think that's the way people are coaching us. You like, you want to pick a player. At the end of the day, the world's best players have the best fundamentals and the best technical and tactical qualities. Like, so therefore, it's not a case to say that, like, are, are New Zealand running and just bashing over everybody? You know, like, it's a case we say South Africa, yeah, no doubt. But like, and everybody knows that, like, that's, that's what's going to win you the game. The physicality stuff, there's, there's enough parity. Like, we can get, like, that, that's gone, like, Four and out years ago, you know, like you get like you're, you could match them with strength and fitness, but no, the technical and tactical stuff that's going to win you the games, you know. And like there's, there's, there's psychological behaviors around that as well, like, you know. So we can all know everything, okay? So like we have behavioral standards, like you know, like you know, the general and humility, honesty, etc., and all those things. But like to competitive behaviors, like because when we have a player, like, and we look at that quadrant I talked about before, that physical, technical, tactical, that psychological part. Look, you got to ask, first of all, is the player willing to do that? Is he capable Is he capable, or is he able to? Because if he's not able to do those things, then you're not going to get the results, you know? So you have to make a decision with that player, and you have to help and aid him. It's not a case you bury him under the bus, like, you know? It's just, you set out a certain amount of requirements. If I make a tackle in a game, okay, well, how quickly do I get up off the ground? How quickly do I get back into position? How quickly do I get my space? And how quickly do I communicate with people? And how quickly do I get off the line? There are things that matter. There are behaviors that can be measured. They're competitive behaviors. They show want. You can see them on the pitch. You can call them, I think we, I think we call them bonks or whatever in terms of like, you call it bonks in terms of getting back in the round and getting back in line. Like they're things, they're visual things. They're effort. They're measurable. They're measurable. Carry in terms of like, if we carry a ball and you want to create fast ball and tempo, you need to fall on the outside. You fall on the inside. You have a guy a chance to post the ball. So they're like, all those, all those kind of things. They're, they, they matter. They kind of, they matter. They matter for us as as a group, and uh, I've kind of lost myself in that moment. But uh, I apologise. But it's just uh, like I think they, all those components come into it as well. Like so it's not a case like the the psychological side for the players and to know what those behaviours are. And if we describe what we want, and we're very clear in terms of what a good tackle looks like, a good carry looks like, a good lineout looks like, good execution, and that then 
behaviour should match up to that and you should see those executed as well understand yeah and i think ultimately as well from like whether it be a team or a club that there, there is kind of a still a place in the game or there certainly is the trend in the game certainly seems to be that the the smartest teams are still generally winning out and that doesn't necessarily even apply to players that can apply to coaches or, or kind of entire organizations yeah absolutely i think yeah look some front can win it too as well like um like all, all, all any team needs to know, like any, like mo- everybody's, most rugby players are competitors, and all you need to know is to have the, the littlest, littlest chance, you know. And if they have the littlest chance, they will absolutely go hard and get it, like, and they all could be completely against them. So that's the beauty of rugby, you know. That, like, sometimes, you know, like, if you think you have half a sniff of it, like, people are competitive, they'll find a way, and it may not be the most beautiful way, maybe they just got it to the complete want. The other teams didn't show up in the day. So that's why physically you have to show up all the time. You can't, you don't get away with it. Like, you know, if you don't match up, you're physically tough and the other team is a bit more physical but worse than you. It's a good chance you're going to get, you certainly going to get beat. Yeah. The final thing I was going to ask you about is, you know, you hear a lot of emphasis, certainly this week, about the, the kind of tournament rugby and managing load amongst tournaments and I think you're probably somebody who's actually not even more familiar with that because you've been week on week on with the, the Pro 14 for the last couple of years now the, these kind of weeks like managing this period of the time how does that look for, for a team like Connacht? Oh managing load it's, 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 it's individual so like okay, you yeah. have a, in terms of a load like you have a, a team load outlined you know so we have like a moderate load a moderate pitch load one week a low load then a high load so we don't have monotony you know and we're preparing to the game itself but also like in terms of like you'll have a watch list of players in terms of their load may have been high from the previous week you know and there's certain risks there's risk factors around high speed running total volume and other things you have to pay attention to because they're proven if you don't pay attention you get bitten in the ass and there's still other avenues in terms of players previous injury history you may make a decision okay this player's had an awful high load this week okay, let's, he may not train on Monday we'll integrate him back in on Tuesday and also there's the collision elements because at the moment like you know we all look at the like the locomotive of your GPS and all the running loads but you've got to look for a forward mightn't run that much but like his non-locomotive cost around the scrum the breakdown the line out the mall can be absolutely huge and you need to look at that content as well and go God he's hit an awful lot of breakdowns hit an awful lot of tackles we had the weather was poor we kicked to the kicked to the corners a couple of times had a couple of malls there's a cost in that and there's certain players you may pull out of the session on a Monday due to that as well also like in terms of the total level of actually contact and instance within a game so it's, it's multifactorial in that sense as well you know Johnny that's been a brilliant insight thanks a million for talking to us today yeah no answers Morris listen uh, anytime I appreciate it I appreciate the course